So, um, I don't know if you know, but we are now in what we call the month of Adar, and it's known as the month of happiness. We have a holiday coming up called Purim, and, and we have something called the Happiness Awareness Challenge that's happening uh, on Instagram every day. We are posting some cool little video clips of different steps that you can get towards happiness, and Niyusha is wearing a happy shirt, so that's perfect. Uh, this is perfect. Thanks. For our nice shot. <laughs> That's exactly it. So it's all about trying to get happy. And um, one of the things that we did as the Jewish people for many, many generations is that we would all donate a small amount of money to a local institution. It was originally a machatzit hashekel, half a shekel. This was at the time that the Jews were living in Israel and we had a temple. We would all give a small amount of money. It was half a shekel, worth around 20 bucks of today. It was nine grams of silver, around nine grams of silver that was given to the temple. And it was used every year, you know, that from the month coming. This is the month of Adar, but the next month after this is Nisan. And that's when we calculate the new month in terms of fields and land and, and the months. The new month was actually counted from the time that the Jews were born, which is when they came out of Egypt. And that's next month, right? That's when we get, and we're going to have Passover, which is coming up soon. Um, but this month, the Bedin, the courts and the, the, uh, the rabbis would collect, the Kohanim, the priests would collect from every single member of the Jewish community a small amount of money. This was also a way of counting the people. But it was also um, a, a way that everyone could be uh, giving a special gift. And we today do not have a temple, but it's still there is a mitzvah to uh, give a small amount of money already from the beginning of this month, which happened on last Shabbat. So um, already from then, you can give a small amount of money to tzedakah, to charity, and it's considered as a very good thing. This is mainly used... This is mainly a type of charity that's for any type of community or synagogue, and it's an important thing to do. Not necessarily a shlit, but you know, hey, you know, this is a shlit, so you could, you could donate to us too, but not necessarily to us. Um, and it's also, we're also taught that in this month, we have what we call a good mazal. I don't know if you know this, but we have good luck, a good flow of goodness coming in our way this month. And for that reason, it's brought down in Jewish law, which is quite interesting, that during this month, if there's any time to organize a court case that you're dealing with, or you're buying a new house, or something that you're doing, hey, we're actually buying a house, right? We bought a house, but we're moving in soon. So if there's anything that you're, anything that you're about to commit to, like something big that you're doing, you should do it in this month. Because this month is a month of happiness and blessings and there's flow. The spring is about to come. There's lots of good coming in. And this month in, is, is like a special month in Jewish teaching. And um, we know that we're the story of Purim. Everything switched around. The enemies were trying to stop us. And then everything twitched, switched around and everyone was fine at the end. So... Because of that energy, it's still in the air, and we have to take the, make the most out of this energy. And it's good to know, you know, even if you don't believe in these things, in these things, why not? This is, we have 3,000 years of history, and uh, there's enough history to prove that this is a very special month for the Jewish people. So, um, This fits in, by the way, yeah, so there's some that say it's from 20 years and up, 13, in general, anyone who's 13 years and up can give around 20 bucks, should give 20 bucks to charity, and it's a very, very good thing that you could do. It can um, atone and help you in many ways without you even realizing. And that actually fits in really, really well with this week's Torah portion. Because this week's 
Torah portion is actually called teruma, which means to give. And today I want to speak about the power of giving and what that really means. Um, and it was in reference to when the Jewish people had the first temple, the first tabernacle. So it's like a synagogue. And God says, you build this beautiful place. If you do work, I will come there and I would rest in you. I would give you that energy. When you build this beautiful temple, I will be there for you. And this is um, what happened. But this is the language of giving that the Torah says. Hashem says to Moshe, and he says to him, listen, tell the Jewish people that they should take for me a donation. Take for me. Does that make sense to you? It's give to me. It says, take for me a donation from every single person who's generous. They should give a donation in order to build this tabernacle. And everyone gave a donation. Gold, copper, silver, the sockets for the bottom of this tabernacle, this temple, that was donated by everyone the same amount. Everyone gave half a shekel for that. But for the rest of the temple, gold, silver, copper, whatever they had, everyone donated and they had so much that they had to tell everybody to stop. But the question in the language is, on this week's Torah portion, this is what everyone's discussing, is why does it say, take for me a donation? It's like me coming up to you and saying, hey, would you mind to take a donation for me for Eishlit? You know, would you be able to take a donation for the homeless in LA? You don't say that. You say, would you be able to give a donation? The language is faulty. And it says take. Why take? And the answer is obviously that the rabbis explain because when you're taking, you're really giving. It may appear, sorry, it, it may appear that when you're giving, you're just giving. But really, when you're giving, you're actually taking something for yourself. You're gaining much more for yourself by giving than you think. And that's really the message here. And it's a strange phenomenon. When you give, you're taking. It seems in our eyes, when I give my $20 to someone, if I give 10 bucks to someone, I don't have that money anymore. But Jewish teaching says, when you give, you're taking something. Don't focus on the money you're losing. Focus in what you are gaining. When you give, you are gaining. That's what I want to speak about tonight. Because that is the nature of this world. The nature of this world is we feel good when we give. And we don't know why. And I want to show you how powerful this really is. So the Chafetz Chaim, one of the great rabbis of the past century, he gives a parable to actually make us understand the idea of giving. So let's say you have this commoner and he works in the fields back in the day and uh, there's a landowner and he works for this landowner and how it works is for every, uh, he's a harvester, this commoner's harvesting the land, he's taking out the fruits from the trees and every sack that he fills up they make a deal. He gets one golden coin. Okay, For every sack of fruits that he fills up, he gets one golden coin. And the commoner stops filling up. He starts working hard. He starts filling many, many bags of fruits. And he has hundreds and hundreds of bags. He comes to the, to the landowner. He says, look, look how many bags I have. How are we going to count this? I'm sorry, but I, am, I wasn't educated. And I do not know how to count. So I don't know exactly how much money I'm earning. Would you be able to help me and explain to me exactly how much the money is that I've earned? Because I've, you know, I've filled up many bags. So the landowner says, no problem. You see in my pocket, I have many copper coins. Copper coins are cheap. They're not worth a lot. They're cheap coins. And let's take a cup. For every bag I put into the storage, let's put one copper coin into the cup. For every bag I put in the storage, we'll put one copper coin in the, bag, in the cup. Eventually, we'll give you, instead of the copper coins, I'll exchange them for each copper coin. Eventually, we'll, I'll take them back and I'll give you golden coins instead. And that's the way I'll pay you. Because we can't really count the bags. 
Let's do it that way. So the commoner agrees and the businessman, the landowner, starts taking the bags and puts it in his storage. For every single bag that was put in storage, the commoner looks, puts another coin into the cup. He puts another coin, every bag that was put in the storage, he puts another copper coin in the cup. Another bag went in storage, he takes another copper coin and puts it in the cup. After a while, the cup starts filling up and the commoner sees a whole cup filled with copper coins. And he's like, wow, this is a lot of copper coins. I want to keep this. So he decides to empty out quickly when the landowner's not looking, empty out some of the copper coins and put it into his pocket. And again, there's more bags being moved into the storage. Every time another bag goes in storage, he takes out a copper coin and he puts it into his cup. And every once in a while, he takes from the cup a few copper coins and puts it in his pocket. And eventually, the landowner looks at him and says, what are you doing? He says, what do you mean, what am I doing? Uh, nothing. You don't understand? Those copper coins are in exchange for gold coins. You're taking them and putting it in your pocket, but really you're meant to be getting gold coins for them. Don't take out the copper coins from the cup. There's golden coins that you're meant to get in, in exchange. And the Chafetz Chaim says, that's exactly how it is with us as well. A lot of times we have a lot of money, extra money, money that we need for ourselves, of course, then you spend it. But we have a lot of extra money. And what do we do with the extra money? We think, oh, it's better to save it. I'll keep it for myself instead of giving it. When we give it, we don't realize that really we're getting something much, much greater than we can imagine. Something massive, but we just don't see it. The question is, why is it that when we give, do we not see it? That's the question. When we give, we don't see it immediately. You know, the rabbis call money damim. Money in Hebrew is called damim. Do you know what that means? What does dam mean? Blood. Blood. Money in, in, in Talmudical terms is blood. You hear that? Why, why is it blood? Anyone can imagine? Why, why is money in Hebrew damim? Because people kill for it. People kill themselves for it. They sweat and they work hard and they put their whole blood into their money, right? In order to make money, it's something which you're really connected to. It's hard for somebody to disconnect from their money. Now, whenever I give to somebody, I gain from that giving. The only thing is, I don't see the gain immediately. And there's a number of reasons for that. One of them is because if I was to see all the benefits that happened through my giving, then I wouldn't have a choice. I need to be in a world of free will. If I saw every time that I give how good it was immediately, I, you know, I saw that the repercussions, the karma of giving is so quick to be received in return to myself. Why would I ever choose not to give? It's obvious that I have to, I, I have to give. I'm seeing that immediately after I give $100, I get in my bank account $1,000. Will I ever have a choice not to give? Of course, I will never have a choice. I'll, I'll always want to give. So when it comes to giving, I don't see, I know and I feel that it's good for me, but I don't really see the full result straight away. That's because of free will. But that's the language here. And this is Jewish philosophy. One of the reasons that we are successful is because we're givers. And the rabbis say, when you give, you receive. And that's really what I want to plug into today, onto a number of stories from the Talmud on what giving does and how powerful it really is, even though we don't see it. And I say we don't see it because otherwise we would have no choice. We would obviously give if I knew the impact. You have to understand. Let's say I give somebody... <coughs> I give somebody a hundred bucks. Gift. Okay? That person could easily have thought two weeks ago that the whole world hates him. And for the past two weeks, he's been in depression. 
you know, emotionally charged, hating life, hating everybody. But all of a sudden, this really nice person came along and gave him a hundred bucks. Suddenly he feels, wow, someone's so kind, right? He gave me his blood, right? Because money's blood. He gave me his blood. So there are kind people after all. That's the thought that now goes into his mind. What happens the next week? He gets a better, he gets an interview to a job. He gets a better job. He gets a more prestigious job because he's more attractive. He's happy. He believes in people. He believes in humanity. And then eventually when he dates, he's dating differently. You do not understand the repercussions of a good action. We don't see that. We don't see the fruits of good. We don't see the fruits of bad either. But think about how much good you smile to somebody. You could, you could save them from suicide. You don't know. You say a good word. You give somebody a call. You don't know what they're going through. One good word has massive, it's a seed that has massive repercussions. It can build hundreds of trees. We just don't see it. We don't see the good that we do, the giving that we do, because if we were to see all of it, we would never choose not to give. We have to be able to choose. But the language is, take for me. Because when you're giving, you're really taking. I want to emphasize that idea based on a number of stories in the Talmud. Okay, So there's this big rabbi. It's the Talmud in Baba Batra in the Talmud on uh, page 11a. You can check it out if you want. I know you're not, so it's fine. Right? Page 11a. It says like this. There's a story about a great rabbi called Binyamin HaTzadik. Binyamin, the righteous one. And he was the man that was appointed over the charity of the community. He was trusted. And he was the one that was appointed over the big charity of looking after anyone that needs money. One day a woman comes up to him and it was in the years of a famine. I'm translating it, so excuse me if the English is a bit wrong. She says to him, Rabbi Parnasani, Rabbi, please give me something. Give me some livelihood. So the rabbi looks at her and says, I'm sorry. He made an oath. I give you an oath. He sees that she was desperate. He says, I give you an oath. There is no money anymore in the account. There's no charity money left in the account. She says to him again, Rabbi, if you don't give me any money, I'm just letting you know a woman and her seven sons are going to die. When Rabbi Yamin HaTzadik, this big rabbi, hears that, he stood up, takes out his own money and gives it to her. A few days later, this big rabbi, Binyamin HaTzadik, got sick and he was meant to die. And in the worlds above, like I said, we don't see what's going on in the spiritual worlds, but in the worlds above, many malachim, malachei hasharet, that's the malachim that we sing about on Shabbat. Right? Right? The, the Malachim. So these angels, even though they're not human looking figurines, they're not with wings or anything like that, right? Just it's figurative. But there were angels standing, speaking to God, and they said to him, Please, Master of the universe, you said and you taught the world that anybody who keeps one soul, Alive is as if he kept a whole world alive. And this big tzaddik, Binyamin, he kept a woman alive and her seven sons. They, he should die in such a short number of years. He can't die early. Now, even though when somebody's meant to leave this world, we don't know the date says in the Talmud, you don't know, when you came into this world, that wasn't your choice. When you leave this world, it's not your choice. It's not your choice to come in here, and it's not your choice to leave here. As much as people think they can choose to leave this world, it's still not in your choice. At some point, when it's time for a person to leave this world, when he's done what we call in Hebrew, his tikkun, He's done his part in this world. We don't know what Artikun is exactly. But it's like being on the bus. When you've got to get off the bus stop. 
and it's your bus stop, you just got to get off, right? So when it's your time to leave this world, it's your time to leave this world. It was his time to leave this world. However, the malachim, the angel said, listen, he gave so much charity. He kept a whole world alive because each human being, according to Jewish teaching, is a whole world. He kept eight human beings alive. He kept eight worlds alive. How can he leave so early? Immediately, the Talmud says, immediately, the decree was removed and he lived for another how long? 22 years. He lived for another 22 years. The, the Kabbalistic rabbis, the Khatam Sofer, the Ben Yoada, make a calculation of why exactly it was 22. But he lived for another 22 years, even though he was meant to die 22 years earlier. But in the merit of this one action, he lived for another 22 years. You see, according to Jewish teaching, when you give, you're actually taking. The, the threat of not giving sometimes is harder than the threat of giving, meaning we don't see the result of giving. That's what it's saying. here. By the way, why 22? Let me just get into something very cool. It says that when you save, when somebody's begging, when somebody's about to die and you could help save them, then it says the voice of that person is screaming and his future grandchildren are screaming at you. Let's say, this is what was told by Cain and Abel, that before somebody, if you're able to save somebody's life, it's as if it says, the voice of your, of your brother or sister is screaming. And so is the voice of the blood of his children. Right now. So based on that, there is a calculation. Yeah, sorry. Rabbi, we, we, missed, we missed what you said after Cain and Abel for about 20 seconds. So. Oh, is that bad internet? Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Could you please re reiterate? Oh, it's okay. It should be better now, right? It's better? Yeah, it's better now. Yeah, we're good. Okay, so the, when, when, when you're able, like this rabbi, was able to save this mother and her seven kids. So the voice of their soul, of their blood, is screaming at him. And if he would let them just go and walk off thinking, okay, it's fine, then their voices are going to be heard, right? Those cries of, please save me, is going to be heard. But he didn't save them. This time, the rabbi did save them and gave them the money that they needed in order to survive. The rabbis say that when, which, how many generations of voices are screaming that person's generation and their child's generation. Okay, so it's them and their children. So he makes a calculation, 22 years, because she's one year, she has seven kids. Okay, seven kids times two is their children, is 14. And he says that they don't just, no one has the mitzvah to have children is at least one, is, is two kids, actually. You know, there's another whole discussion, but the mitzvah of having children, pruvu, the mitzvah of being fruitful and, and multiply is having two kids, one male, one female. Yeah, wait, I heard before that it was two boys and a girl at least. I don't know there's different I'm... discussions. We hold, like oh, Hillel, okay. and it's one boy, one girl, okay? So, uh, if it's, if it's more than that, if it's, let's say it comes out two boys or two girls, then that's also a discussion. I don't want to get it. It's another whole thing. It's another whole discussion of when you're actually fulfilling the mitzvah of, having, of being fruitful and many. But um, it makes sense because if you're, if you're less than two, then you're diminishing the two of you, right? If, you have, if two people have one child, you're lowering the, level, the, the number of people. Right? The society is going to go down eventually. We're, we're an endangered species. Hello? The Jews are endangered species. There's thousands of them just like, you know, leaving. We've got to keep us going. So anyway, uh, that's another whole discussion. I don't want to get into being fruitful and many. It's going to make you excited. But here's the language. It says that the voice of your, your, your child, of, your, of that person's blood and the 
blood of his children will always scream out if you could have saved them. And if you make a calculation, it's 22 altogether. He says, why? Because at, for each one of them, there's a child and there's two children. So you have her and her seven kids, that's eight. Then you have 14 is exactly 22. Her and her seven kids, she already did the mitzvah approval. So you have eight. And then each one of those seven kids having two kids is altogether how many? Eight plus 14, you've got 22. You hear that? That's the calculation. That's one of the calculations. There's another calculation. There's another calculation. If you want, you want to hear another calculation why it was 22 years? Because obviously this is all Kabbalah. I'm not, I'm only touching onto it of, of like how, when you give charity, how many years you can get back from it and all the, all the calculations. Obviously we never know fully the calculations of Hashem, but there's, there's something to hear about this. It's very powerful. There's another answer. This is very powerful. You want to hear some cool stuff? So when you give charity, you're, you're actually plugging in to God's name, right? God's name is Yud, Hey, Vav, and Hey. Let me just, can someone write that in? Does anyone have, oh, does anyone have uh, Hebrew on their, on their computer? Let me uh, write a message. Let me just write this. Oh. There you go, Omri, thank you. So, Yud, Hey, Vav, and Hey. You've got, the, you've got the name of God there. Yud, Hey, Vav, and Hey. Thank you, Omri. And if you look, the Yud represents the coin. That's like a small little round piece. So that represents the coin. The Hey is five. It represents the five fingers in the giver's hand. Okay, so he's taking the coin, the Yud. He puts it into his hand. That's five. His arm reaching out is Vav, and it's a connector. That's what Vav is. It's a, it's a, it's a connection, right? And Hey is the other person's hand, the poor person's hand of five, taking the coin from the wealthy. So you've got the coin, the, uh, the five of the arm of the, the wealthy person. You've got the arm of him giving it out, and the poor person receiving the coin into his hand, which is five as well. Yud, hey, vav, and hey. When you give, you're actually playing with the letters of God's name. You're being like God. It's a very powerful thing because God only gives. So you're actually plugging into the letters of his name. By the way, it's interesting to point out, and this is what the Chidah brings out as well, is that it has to go in that way. It has to go in the way in order to really plug into giving where the wealthy person is the one that takes the coin in his hand and puts his arm out first. If it was the case where the poor person is pointing out, bringing out his arm first, so then you have a vav, it's not in the right order. You'll never get the right order. You'll have a vav of the poor person. You have the yud, the coin of the wealthy person. He's putting it into his hand. Now he can't, there's no vav. It only works out perfectly when it's in that order. When, and that's how it should be. The gimel, the person that's giving, needs to give before the poor person asks him. That's the ultimate. Not needs to. If, some, if a poor person comes and asks you, of course you should give. But in a case where the ultimate form of giving is before the person even asks you for the money, you're already giving it to him. Only then does yud hey vav and hey really fit in the right order. The coin the five fingers of the owner of the money, his arms stretched out, and the poor person's five fingers receiving that money in his hand. That's when you plug into God's name. So according to Kabbalah, if you look at the last two letters, the last two letters, Vav and He, of God's name, that is altogether 11. Vav and He is 11. And... It says, our rabbis say, if you give charity properly, you also get it. You get 11 extra blessings. Vav and hey, you get 11. When you give charity just normally, you get six. When you give it with, with a smile, with love, then you get 11 different blessings. This is the Talmud. It's Kabbalistic as well. 
but you're plugging into Vav and He. Vav is six, He is five. That adds up to 11 altogether. And you're plugging into the last part of God's name. And it says that when, uh, this is what the Kabbalistic rabbis explain, is that when you add, when you spell out Vav fully, so it's Vav, Vav, that's 12. And you spell out Hey fully, it's Hey, Hey, because that's how it's pronounced. That's 10. 12 and 10 adds up to 22 as well. And you get God's name as the, the 22 years, which is the reason why this rabbi lived for another 22 years. I don't want to get too far into the Kabbalah of why he got 22 years. I want to go to another story. Okay, there's another story with a great king. His name was Munbaz. And Munbaz HaMelech was one of the great kings of the Jewish people. And there was a famine. There was a uh, pandemic, let's say, during his time. And the king started taking all of his treasures out, all the gold and all the money that he had. It wasn't just his money. It was the treasures of his forefathers, of his fathers, his grandfathers. He was many generations of, of being a king. And he was a Jewish king. And he had m- millions and millions and billions of dollars in storage. And he opened it all up and he started giving it out to everybody so that no one would be hungry. It was a time of famine, not enough food, not enough uh, availability to food. Nowadays, we're very lucky. We can transport. But can you imagine a pandemic in a time on top of everything, in a time where you don't have the transportation that we have today? Do you you realize how fast and, and lucky we are, even as is, even with all the difficult situation we're in? We are extremely lucky with everything that we have. But back in then, back in those days, when there's a famine, I mean, the land, every land needs to produce produce. If you don't get produce from the land, everyone's starving. And there was a famine. It was easier for it to happen. He takes out all the money from his storage. So his, his children, his brothers, his family, his parents, he's the king. But his family come up to him and his friends and they say to him, your fathers kept all this money. And they, kept, they didn't spend that money. And you're just spending it? What kind of thing is this? All these years, we've collected all this money and you're the, you've got the cheek to just spend it? And this is the answer he told them. It's the most beautiful thing. Who did he spend it on? And everybody else. He gave it to everybody that was starving. There's people that there was a famine. So he says to them, Amalahem avodai, my fathers ganzulemata. My fathers, they stored that money in this world. But I'm taking this money and I'm storing it in the world above. Why? Because I'm not keeping it for myself. I'm giving charity. Oh, when you give charity, that is stored in a special bank in the worlds above. As it says, Truth has to come from earth. But tzedek, kindness, charity... That is always watched over from the heavens. That's never forgotten in heaven. And because it's always watched over in the heavens, I am not worried about it. I didn't spend the money. They kept the money down here. I'm keeping the money up there. He continues. He says, my fathers, they stored the money in a place where someone can easily steal it, where a hand can come and take it. But I stored the money in a place when no hand can come and take it. I stored the money in Shemaim, in, in heavens, because I gave charity. As it says, Tzedek umishpat mechon kisecha. Charity and justice is something that's always under your throne. It's always under God's throne, never forgotten. Whatever I do is stayed and stored in the worlds above. If you look at Jewish history, even the good things that were built, in this physical world, were taken eventually. Solomon, the great king, built the second temple. It was much nicer than the first. Sorry, he built the temple. It was much nicer than you can imagine. Than the, even more, it had more than the tabernacle. It had 12 menorahs in it of pure gold. He covered the walls with gold. He made the most gorgeous, it wasn't the tabernacle, it was the most gorgeous building that you can imagine. 
And what happened eventually? It got destroyed. All that gold got taken away, even though he did a good thing with it. But at any point in this world, stuff can get taken away from you. There's another story of, this is a story not, not from the Talmud, but there's a story that also emphasizes this idea of Rev Yitzchak Ababanel. Dan Yitzchak, I think that's who they tell the story of, who lived during the time of the Spanish Inquisition. He was the financial advisor for Ferdinand, the king of Spain. In 1492, before the Spanish Inquisition, Spain was the wealthiest country in the world. And guess who lived there mostly? The Jews, right? The Jews were mainly in Spain at that time. As soon as the Jews got kicked out in 1492, what happened to Spain? Plummet. Everything went down. No money, and they have not been the wealthiest country ever since. But they were the world superpower back then. 1492, they threw out all the Jews. But before then, the financial advisor, the head of the finances, of all the money of the country, was a rabbi that wrote many, many books. Rav Dan Yitzchak Ababanel. You should read about him. He was a Kabbalistic rabbi, and he wrote many, many Torah books. And... With all that, he was also the financial advisor of the king. And um, his wife, the king's wife, Ferdinand trusted Ababanel. He was a very holy man. But his wife, Isabella, was very much influenced um, by the priests and the monarchs and the different people of that time. And they hated the Jews. They are the ones that pushed for the Inquisition. They absolutely hated the Jews. And... Isabella constantly used to tell her husband, Ferdinand, that you can't trust this man. You can't trust the Babanel. He's stealing our money. You, you make him the financial advisor. He's a Jew. And Ferdinand the king didn't believe, him, believe his wife. But at some point, he caved into the pressure and walks into his financial advisor, Ababanel, and tells him, I want from you a list of all your assets. What's all your net worth? I need a list of everything you own. Immediately, without wasting a minute, Dan Yitzchak Ababanel, he pulls out from his pocket, from his, his wallet, and he has a long list of everything, a massive list. And on this list, let's say, he came out to be only $50,000. The king looks at it, Ferdinand looks at it, and says, I know that your home is worth more than that. What are you saying? You don't own $50,000. Are you lying? Immediately put him in prison. They put him in prison. And it's not a prison of today. Back in then, it was pretty scary. They throw him into prison. And immediately, the order came out that all of his earnings, all his, everything that this man owns, his house, his home, his business, everything is given to the king. He owns nothing. He has zero. His bank account, all his money given to the king. The king now owes, owns everything of Dan Yitzchak Ababanel. Dan Yitzchak Ababanel is sitting in prison. And after a day or two, Ferdinand thinks to himself, he says, I know Dan Yitzchak Ababanel. He's not, what is going on here? Something was happening. Why would he show me this list in his pocket, which is way smaller than his net worth? What's going on here? So he calms down. He calls in. And he says to him, what happened? I, I know you're worth much more. Why did you lie to me? Why did you give me such a small list? So he said to him, listen, you asked me, what is my worth? How much I really own? And I want to show you that this list that I took out of my pocket is a list of everything I've given to charity until now. And... That's really what I own. Because all the money that I have that I've not given to charity yet can be taken away from me in a minute. Look, in one second you put me in prison and you took me away from all my money. But there's one thing that you can never take away from me. And that's this. All the charity and all the givings that I've done until this point, you can never take that away from me. From me that stays with me forever. 
And of course, he got taken back in as the financial advisor of Ferdinand until the Spanish Inquisition. Actually, Ferdinand said to Ababanel, I would be happy if you stay here as long as uh, you obviously commit. I, I let you stay in this country. And Daniel Tzachababana says, of course, no, I'm not going to stay. I'm not converting and I'm not going to stay. It's either me and the Jews or none of us. And obviously he got thrown out in 1492. He got taken into Portugal and became the financial advisor for Portugal, which eventually also turned against the Jews and caused a massive pogrom as well there. But he was also the financial advisor of Portugal until that happened as well. So it was a very, very holy rabbi. But again, same idea. Going back to the king of Munbaz, he said again, he said more. He says, my fathers kept things that don't make fruits. They stored their money in a storage, but that storing money in your storage doesn't make fruit. It doesn't give you anything. I stored the money in a spiritual way by giving it to others. And that gives me fruits. It gives me something back. Why? Because it says that a righteous person, a generous person that's good, eats from the fruits of his goodness. When you do something good, you eat from the fruits of it. And here's what it says in the Talmud, that there's five things. I hope you're going to remember this, that if you do them in this world, there's five mitzvot that if we do in this world, we get the reward for it in the world to come, but we also see the fruits of the good in this world as well. What are they? It's honoring our parents. Honoring our parents. We'll get rewarded in the world to come, but even in this world, we'll get rewarded back for it. Our children will respect us in return. Gmilut chasadim, kindness. It's true that the reward is in the world to come. The main part is in the world to come because good can never be paid to me with physical stuff. Spirituality can't be paid to me with physical stuff. But giving has a result of good in this world as well. You'll get fruits from the giving in this world too. Not only in the next world. You'll become respected. You'll become wanted. right? People will be happy to do business with you. Right? A kind person... I'm happy to do business with him. I know that his money is being invested in a good place. Somebody who brings peace amongst people will see the fruits of that in this world. And the study of Torah is more than all of them. Because when you study Torah, you see the fruits of it immediately. Not only do you get rewarded according to Jewish teaching in the world to come, but you get rewarded in this world in terms of seeing the benefits of it immediately. Okay, so these are the five things. One of them is kindness. So he said, listen, if I'm kind and I give charity, I'm going to see the fruits of it in this world. I see how I've saved an entire civilization because I took all my storage out and I gave it to people. He says, my fathers kept money and stored money, but I stored souls. I didn't just store money. I gave people money to live and therefore I kept souls. As it says, the fruits of a righteous person gets the, the tree of life and has a wise person buys himself souls. When you give money to somebody, you give them their neshama, you're giving them emotional stability, you're giving them support, you're giving them a soul. You really lift. Having money doesn't give a soul to anything. Giving money to somebody gives a soul to something, right? It's not that you're just giving them cash. You're giving them also the feeling that you care, that somebody cares. They're like, wow, life is awesome, right? It gives them a soul. Then he said the last statement. He says, my fathers stored the money in this world, but I'm storing the money in the world to come because as soon as I die, I'm not going to take cash with me to the grave. That doesn't come with me to the grave. But you know what does go with me to the grave in the world to come is the good that I gave to other people. As it says, When you give charity, that charity will go as a, a, as a, um, as a, 
as a Senegal, as, as somebody that stands in front of you in court, who supports you in court. I forgot what that, a protector, I forgot what it's called, somebody who supports you in court. Right? It goes in front of you and it talks for you. All your charity that you did your entire life would be accompanying you in front of you as you leave this world. You'll see it all in front of you. Kvod Hashem Yasvecha, and the glory of God will gather it all. It will be the most beautiful presentation. So, according to Jewish teaching, when we give, it accompanies us for many, many generations in the world to come as well, not just in this world. But when I just keep the money to myself, that does not come with me anywhere. It doesn't, bury, it doesn't get buried with me. It doesn't come as my legacy. It doesn't come anything. It just, I made money. But it's the money that we give that really makes us. One last story. The story of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Story tonight. This is a story in the Midrash. This is something fascinating. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai wrote the Zohar, all the books of Kabbalah. And he tells a story. The, Tam, the Midrash, the Talmud also, tells a story of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Listen to this story. He has a dream at night. What night? The night of Rosh Hashanah. On Rosh Hashanah, according to Jewish teaching, it's fixed exactly how much money you're going to have from year to year. That's when it's predicted exactly how much money you're going to have that year, how much you're going to make. So Rabbi Shimon Bayachai has a dream on the night of Rosh Hashanah, and he dreams that the children of his sister, who owned a massive business, were very successful, are going to lose a tremendous amount of money. 600 dinares have, 600 golden coins. Worth a tremendous amount of money. So who's going to steal it? The government, the Romans that are taking over the country, right? they destroyed the temple. They are going to take this money. So he tells immediately after he has this dream, he calls in his nephews and nieces and his family. And he tells them, I want you all to give charity. A big substantial amount to charity. So they say, okay, fine, no problem. That's what you called us for, of course. So they give a big amount. After a week, he calls them again. He says, no, I want you to give again. So they gave, okay, fine. A substantial amount, they gave. He says, write down everything you're giving from this Rosh Hashanah. Write down all the money you give in charity. And again and again, he asks them, please give charity, give charity. At some point, they come to him and they say, why? Why are you asking us to give so much? He says to them, it's better you give to Jacob that's hungry than give to Esav, who are the Romans, the Roman Empire. They are the sons of Esav, who are satiated. They're already full. Better you give to Jacob that's hungry than to the Romans, Esav, that's satiated. At the end of the year, after him pushing them for an entire year, give charity, give charity, give charity. At the end of the year, there was a rumor amongst the Romans. They were trying to catch someone in the Jewish people. And they made a rumor about this family, the family of Rav Shimon Bayochai, that they needed to pay, either pay 600 dinars, have exactly the amount of money. Either they pay that 600 golden coins or they buy a special coat for the king, for the emperor. Either they make a special coat for him or they pay 600 golden coins, right? A tremendous amount of money. And if they don't pay the money immediately, they're going to prison. So as soon as that word came out, Rabbi Shimon Bayochai goes to the, his children, his nephews and nieces, and he says to them, can I please have the calculation of all the charity you gave this year so far? They took out the calculation. It came out to 600 dinares I have, 600 golden coins, minus Six coins. They only had to give six more coins to make 600. Rabbi Shimon Bayachai takes out from his own pocket six golden coins. And he goes to one of the Roman leaders. And he gives him the six golden coins. And he says, please speak on our behalf and remove this decree. And he does. He speaks on their behalf and the decree is removed. So the children of Rav Shimon Bayachai come up to him after, and they say, if what happened? What was the story here? So Rav Shimon Bayachai says, right at the beginning of the year, I had a dream that you're going to lose 600 golden coins. And I decided instead of you losing it, 
you may as well give it as charity instead. So they said to him, so rabbi, teacher, uncle, why didn't you tell us right from the beginning that that's the reason why we should give the charity? Of course, we would have given it much happier. If right from the beginning, we would have known that the reason why we need to give charity is because there was a decree that 600 golden coins needs to be taken away from us. So we would have just given it right from the beginning. Like, why didn't you tell us right from the beginning? He says, because it's not comparable. Someone who gives money because they know it's going to be taken away from them anyway to somebody who gives money out of their will. And from here, we learn a very powerful lesson as well, which is it's not only about giving charity. It's not only about giving good. It's about how you give it. There's times where there's somebody in front of you and you say to yourself, okay, he's a homeless guy. He's not going to, I can't give him money. He's going to use it for drugs. Maybe you're right. And it's your own calculation. But one thing's for sure. No one asked for you to give a substantial amount. Maybe you can give a bottle of water. But one thing's for sure. If you give a small amount, don't feel bad that you're giving a small amount and therefore accompany your giving with a very rude, here's the money and get out of here. Right? That doesn't work. You've got to say, you know, this is what I can give you right now. And I hope you and I wish you all the best. Right? Wish that person a blessing. Not only are you giving him charity, but you make him feel good. There's a great rabbi who started one of the biggest yeshiva institutions in Israel, the Panovitcher Rebbe. And he was asked when he, he was collecting for years after the Holocaust. After the Holocaust, he was collecting to build this yeshiva. He had no money. No one has money. His people will tell him, Rabbi, you're dreaming. He used to say to them, I may be dreaming, but I'm awake. See, I'm awake. I may be dreaming, but I'm awake. And he used to collect and collect for his building that he built eventually. And eventually, he um, got the money and built this massive yeshiva, the biggest yeshiva, one of the biggest yeshivas in the world. The Panovich Rav, this big, big rabbi, was once asked, you, all your life, you're asking people to support your organization, your school. What does it feel like when you knock on somebody's door asking them for money? How, it must be horrible. How do you feel? He says, do you know? You want to know how I feel? I always wish that the person just doesn't answer the door. My dad says, it's better that we're on our side giving the money than on the other side asking for the money. Just thank God that you're not on the other side asking for that money. Always better to be the giver than the taker. Right? That's a blessing in itself. So, that's what it says. If you're Mephaisal, if you do it with a smile, you get 11 blessings. You're plugging into God's name properly. Then you're plugging into the yud Hey vav and Hey. if you do it with a smile. And it's like that, by the way, with every single aspect of Judaism. I'm going to finish with this. Every aspect of Judaism. It says, if do it Hashem, besimcha, serve God with happiness. You must be happy to do your Judaism. That's one of the things that Judaism stands for. If do it Hashem b'simcha. Serve God happily. It's like a father that tells his child, I want you to go to school, to college. And his child says, no, I'm not going. So the father says, I am, you are going to school. There's no question here. And the child says, no, I don't want to. And eventually, the child goes and the father says, if you don't go, I will never give you any of my money. I know that we have a lot of money and earnings, but you will not inherit my money if you don't at least get a college education. So the, the child goes to school. Right? When the parent is telling that child to do it, it's important that the parent tells them in a, in a way that's smiling, in a way that's loving. Right? Because it's true that it's important, but it needs to be done in a way that listens to the child. What is bothering him? Why doesn't he want to go? The father is maybe needs to force his child to go, but it has to also do it in a way which leads to happiness. We don't know the reason for all the things, a lot of the things we do. 
Meaning, we know the reasons. Shabbat, we know the reason, but we don't know how powerful it is. You give charity, we know that it's good, but we don't know how powerful it is. How many, Kabbalistically, how many worlds are being changed through the charity? We don't see it. We don't always see the good that we do. Even Shlomo Melech, the wisest of all, says, I tried to understand it, but it's beyond me. But one thing we need to do, it's, this is the key, is if do it Hashem b'simcha. Do it. You're going to do Shabbat this week. Do it happily. Don't, if you're going to do it, do it with a smile. Do it making sure that you're happy. Because if it's not happy, it's not good. In fact, that's what the Maggid of Duvna says. He says on the verse in Isaiah, there's a verse in Isaiah which talks about the rebuke that the Jewish people had. One of the rebukes is that you, the Jewish people stopped saying the name of Jacob. Isaiah 43. You don't call my name anymore, Jacob, because you are toiling and it's a strain for you. It's heavy for you. And he says on this verse, he says some people do things Jewishly and they're happy to do it. And some are doing it and they're just sad to do it. Yeah, oh, I'm giving charity because, you know, Judaism says do it. Oh, I'll do, I'll light the candles on Friday night because, you know, Judaism says do it. But I'm not really happy to do it. There's two types of people. There are those that do Judaism and they're happy about it. And there are those that do it because they've got guilt and they're unhappy about it. A person that's in pain and suffering needs to ask himself, where is my mistake? There's something I'm missing. What is it that I'm missing? Because that's not real Judaism. I'm not doing it right. If I'm not happy, then there's something I'm missing. Well, if it's heavy for me, I'm lacking something. And there's a beautiful parable he gives. Last parable, last story that I'm going to give you here. Amazing parable. If I'm not happy, it's not real. Here's an amazing example. The example of a wealthy jewelry businessman. He's in, in jewelry and he travels to do some business in jewelry far away. And he gets to his hotel. He has his bags. And as soon as he gets to the hotel, the bellboy or whatever it's called, comes and takes his bags from him. He gets to his room. He sits down and after a few minutes, knock on the door, the bellboy comes in and he comes in with a bag that looks like his case. And immediately, the jewelry owner looks at the bag and says, that's not my bag. He says, what do you mean it's not your bag? Of course it is. It's the same exact bag that you gave me. He says, yes, it's the same bag on the outside. But on the inside, that's not my bag. And the bellboy stunned, looks at him and says, what do you mean? How do you know? How do you know that inside is different? He says, because the bag that I brought was not heavy at all. It had no weight in it. And when you walked into this room, I could tell that the bag is way too heavy on you. You're like schlepping it. That's not my bag. I didn't fill my bag with such weight. It can't be my bag. They open the case and they see it's not his bag. It was too heavy and it really wasn't his bag. Oh, says the Magid of Duvna. That's what it means. That's what it means in that verse in Isaiah 43. When it says, You're not calling my name because it's too heavy for you. When it's too heavy for you, when you're struggling, then it's not the right bag. It's not the right Judaism. If it's a struggle for you, it's not the right Judaism. That's why it's important a person needs to have a guide, a rabbi, someone that can help you grow, that you don't do it too quickly, that you don't do it too slowly, that you're growing in the right way. Someone who's objective that can guide you into your growth. Anyway, there's some amazing things about uh, giving. And these are some of the ideas that uh, I shared with you about giving there's something also very very cool about giving as well called machatzit machatzit means half i'm going to show you this just this last thing if you look at the comment section the chat section i wrote you a word in hebrew that's called machatzit that means half if you look this is the last thing i'm going to tell you today the last the first letter is a mem and the last letter is a taf what does that mean? 
Mem Tuff. What word is that? Gabe, what is it? Met. Met, death. Chet is the second letter. And Yud is the second to last letter. What word is that? Chai. Chai, which means life. And the middle letter is Tzadik. What does that stand for? Staka. Staka, charity. The more a person gives charity, the more they're bringing themselves closer to life. They're bringing themselves and filling themselves with life. The further away a person is from charity, the closer they are towards death. Life by definition means I'm giving. Death by definition means I can't give. Right? I'm just being and taking or whatever it is. Life force by definition means I'm giving. So my blessing to you all is to become the true givers and to remember that whilst, yes, we need money to live and to survive and to buy a home and to have a life, we as much, if not even more, need to give so that it gives us purpose to life. Because if we're just taking, then there's no purpose. But when I'm giving, it makes all the taking have a new dimension to it, have a new purpose to it. But there's also one last blessing. It's not just about giving. It's about calculated giving. You should give to the right places, to the places that really need the money, to, I, to places that really can be of, um, of, of influence and of goodness and that can help those that really, really are in need. Okay, so that's my uh, talk for tonight. It's all about giving, the power of giving and how you plug it into God in us. And I hope you guys, uh, thank you, Thank you, thank you. I hope you guys enjoyed.